0: about to take part in a time-traveling road trip through the highs and lows of pop culture, a road trip with a clear destination and many stops along the way. This is but one act of one chapter of the serialized journey.
1: So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to, uh, well, we've warned you. This is not the time for games. What games? What happened to him? What him? Is he in danger? What
0: danger? When we last left off, we continued our deep dive into MST3K's ninth season by taking flight with the most ill-suited Italian knockoff superhero, saluting Donald Pleasence's uncanny ability to never turn down a paycheck, and honoring the greatest live-action interpretation of Superman. This week, we'll have our first run-in with Joe Estevez, break down some rather inconsistent changes to the tradition of lycanthropy on film, and have a sing-along melody to fake Native American drum circles. As always, I am Ryan Rodriguez, and you are stuck with The Coolness Chronicles Season 1, The History and Legacy of Mystery Science Theater 3000, and this is Chapter 12, Well-Oiled Machine. Where, O oh, war, wealth. Last week's monumental Puma Man episode was merely the start of a powerful one-two punch. Today, punch number two, a horror movie that marked the narrowest turnaround between release date and riff and is apparently, according to the MST3K wiki, one of, not the, just one of, iCarly actress Jeanette McCurdy's favorite episodes, whoever that is, Experiment 904 from 1996, werewolf.
1: Somewhere under this parched desert, a secret lies buried.
0: Hey, I got something here.
1: Do you believe in werewolves? No. What the hell? It could be the discovery of the century. Come on in, we're expecting you. A secret so dark, you could never believe it. Until it happens to you. There's some weird things happening around here. It's like a nightmare. <laughs> What's a nightmare? that yeah, would I'm scared. I wanna know what happened to you. When the rising moon fans the flames of desire... The beast emerges. And no one is safe. Can you keep a secret? Werewolf. From Apex Entertainment.
0: Rated R comes from the late Iranian-American writer-director Tony Zarendast, described as both the Persian Ed Wood and a cinema actor in his Wikipedia stub, and previously responsible for films that, at the very least, are very creatively titled, like The Guns and the Fury, Treasure of the Lost Desert, Hard Case and Fist, which sounds like a tough-as-nails buddy cop porno, and Death Flash. No comment. The cast is led by former heartthrob Jorge Rivero as the villainous Yuri, who previously nabbed sizable roles on Mexican television, in addition to John Ford's Rio Lobo, and whose clearly biased IMDb biography leads off by calling him, quote, "...very handsome and muscular," end quote. Rivero's hair is a point of contention throughout the experiment, as it appears to change not only in style from scene to scene, sometimes within a scene, but also in length, volume, and color. This guy's had his fourth hairdo since the movie started. Prolific genre actor Richard Lynch played fellow villain Noel, and his appearance in Werewolf seems serendipitous given some of his early and even later film and television roles. He also played the character Wolf on Battlestar Galactica in a two-parter, and had episodic roles on Manimal, Airwolf, and an unrelated 1987 series also called Werewolf. Ostensible lead character Paul is the only acting credit for Federico Cavalli, who previously co-wrote an Italian anthology film called Weird Tales. As dig-site bum Joel, Werewolf marks the first of many run-ins between the MST3K and rift crew and Joe Estevez, who would later appear in season 10 season premiere, Soul Taker. The Soul Taker! And my beloved, infamous Rift anti-classic, roller gator i'm not a
1: baby i'm (laughs) an
0: tall. joe is often considered a lesser estevez despite presumably being a very nice guy and people rarely considered that he actually recorded dialogue for the prestigious apocalypse now because his brother martin had a heart attack and was unable to fulfill his narration duties lately joe has been a frequent regular on adult swim shows like eagle heart Decker and on cinema at the cinema, usually playing a slightly fictionalized version of himself.
1: Well, it's just some quotes about you. Joe is one of the most talented, creative, and best friends I have. Uh, actor Robert Zadar. Zadar. A maniac okay. cop, you mm-hmm. know,
0: Tango yes. cash. But the most memorable cast member is arguably Adriana Miles, and probably not for the reasons she, nor the director, intended. As Paul's love interest, improbably in foreign archaeologist Natalie Burke.
1: He takes on a series of strange Body habits. Wears toast in his pants. Like sleeping like a coyote nose to anus.
0: What? It's fun! The house begins to smell of coyote yarn. This is absolutely fascinating. Uh, right? Ms. Miles' only previous acting credit was as a German national in Albert Pion's nemesis, and has since been working for Lionsgate in the Licensing and Intellectual Property Department, in addition to writing the screenplay and story for the Flophouse classic, Dire Straits video-level animated film, Dweegons, and Leprechauns. Gold City's been a real Dollsville lately! The character of Natalie is the single greatest source of derision in the mystery science theater, perhaps a little too much so. But as mean as some of the riffs can be, Ms. Miles certainly does herself no favors through her almost entirely emotionless performance and clearly phonetically delivered dialogue.
1: Lycanthrope. a damn
0: werewolf. A, a, a what werewolf? Here's the wind-up. And the pitch. Werewolf? No, werewolf. Were, say it. The impersonations of her have an echo of the later Riff treatment of room director and star Tommy Wiseau, a connection that solidifies at the end of the film, which I promise we will get to eventually. The movie purportedly takes place in Flagstaff, Arizona, despite boasting a cast that mostly consists of Eastern Europeans and was primarily shot in Glendale, California. The plot involves a collection of archaeologists who unearth a werewolf skeleton at a desert dig site that, according to Native American folklore, is a Yanaglachi, a skinwalker, as it were. When foreman Yuri attacks one of the dig site workers, the worker slips and falls on the skeleton, cutting himself, and slowly transforms into a lycanthrope before being murdered by his co-workers. Yuri takes note of this process, and through some truly puzzling leaps in logic, begins experimenting with purposefully turning the people around him into unwitting werewolves. His first attempt involves drugging a security guard and injecting him with a syringe of werewolf blood, which is successful. Unfortunately, as the security guard begins to develop thicker hair and a longer snout, he gets into his car and drives as far from the scene as he can, and as we all know, it's against the law to drive while a wolf. He loses control of the wheel and somehow drives into oil barrels capable of bursting his car into flames that were positioned in the middle of the road. We hardly knew ye security guard. Sidebar. About the look of these so-called werewolves, Bill Corbett had this to say in the second MST3K episode guide. Quote, The many werewolf looks this movie presents. Sometimes simply a wolf, other times kind of a man bear, other times sort of a fruit bat puppet, and still, at other times, just a guy with the mumps overdue for a shave. End quote. I would also add Spirit Halloween Store Mask. End sidebar. Meanwhile, A writer named Paul arrives in town for reasons that I don't believe are ever fully elaborated upon, and rooms with a grizzled, cigar-chomping survivalist who never goes anywhere without a rifle, and seems to delight in sharing bizarre homophobic trivia. Mr.
1: Knight! We're sharing a bed. I just found out Count Dracula was a Oh. Is that so?
0: Hmm. You don't have to believe me, but that's the facts.
1: Hey. You know, so suddenly, I miss my dad.
0: Paul quickly falls in love with another member of the archaeology team, Natalie, whom Yuri also has unrequited romantic feelings for. Natalie facially resembles Jillian Anderson, but her capacity for stilted, grammatically questionable dialogue is much greater. Come on, come on, spit it out. They said they saw him turn into a beast. Turn into a That's horrible. When he attacked them, they had to shoot him. That's why he's in the
1: hospital. Flagstaff, industry, family, foreign people talking in addicts. Oh, I'm so sorry I got you into this mess. I'm very concerned about your well-being. His wallaby? I'm glad to hear that. My wallaby means a lot to me.
0: Look, Noel, I'm not superstitious. So I'm but... stupid. During a particularly heated discussion near the werewolf remains on a community college campus, Paul says the wrong thing, and Yuri lashes out by stabbing him in the back with the fangs of the skull, presumably having planned to find some way to forcefully wolf him out anyway.
1: Yuri, Paul's been cleared by Noel. He's here to help us get my research funding.
0: Relax, there's no call from Pleasanton, is here? Yeah? Did you
1: get this clown? Hey, look, I really don't need this. I didn't come down here to be insulted by a
0: psychopath. You calling me a psychopath? I'll kill your whole family if you call me no, that again. stop it! Action Paul. Paul retreats to his rented room and begins transforming into a skinwalker, intercut with shots of the werewolf skull, a process that necessitates dry humping his bed and making constipated yowls, a scene that I acknowledge plays better with video.
1: Stop it. Stop it immediately. Hey! Oh, Some red shoe diaries all of a sudden. Whoa, rat was ran raster. <laughs> oh, if I could just fart. Oh, <laughs> you know, the antidote to being a werewolf just might be a modium AD. Oh, I'll be weird. Oh. To
0: throw-up Yuck. Will he just transform already? Jeez. Ah! When Natalie goes to check on her man's wallaby, I mean well-being, it's heavily implied that they do the nasty, which becomes important later. At a pool hall, as Paul is in the throes of lycanthropy, Natalie overhears Yuri on the phone discussing potentially trapping and imprisoning Paul in conjunction with his boss. The villains intend on turning the new werewolf into a sideshow act for fun and profit. Natalie does not take this discussion lightly. Help us get him back to the lab. Put him in a cage, hold a press conference,
1: and let the world see what we've achieved. Now hold on. There's more. Noel and some of the guards are on the way to grab Paul and take him to the lab. I resent violence. I don't want anything to happen resent. to him. He's all we've got. And I'm sure you don't want anything to happen to him either. So it all comes to this? The thing that it comes to? You and Noel is in it for fame and fortune? Yes, we is. (laughs) But over my dead body. You hear me? I won't stand for it.
0: You is a jerk. Outside of the pool hall, Paul has become a full-blown werewolf and runs around slaughtering random people and tertiary characters with Yuri in hot pursuit. But where Paul gets the upper hand and slays his oppressor and heads back for his rented room where the grizzled survivalist is waiting. The tables are quickly turned, and the exceedingly bizarre character that seemed to have no reason for existence other than being menacing finally demonstrates some vulnerability in my favorite performance of the entire experiment. What's
1: going on? Oh my god This is so L-A. great. Holy God Werewolf. No, I'm a squirrel monkey. Of course I'm a werewolf and... Leland Sklar, survivalist. Oh, no, save me. Uh, this is God. I've reviewed it with a committee, and no, it won't save you. This thing is
0: the survivalist life is preserved through pure chance, and Natalie arrives to confront her werewolf. her dialogue fully solidifying the connection to Tommy
1: Weezot. Miss Natalie I don't think you should go up there. Something horrible has happened.
0: I passed my tapeworm. I was
1: just praying for the police. I think we should call the cops.
0: No, Sam. Don't call the police. I'll take care of him. Don't worry about it. Danny, don't worry about it. She and Paul embrace, and it's revealed in the ultimate twist ending, that the two lovers now share something in common biologically. They're both werewolves. Apparently, lycanthropy can be transmitted through the exchange of bodily fluids. Oh. Paul, you are the werewolf. As the two look into the camera sporting makeup rejected by Andrew Lloyd Webber, we end on a freeze frame, with the director taking a possessory credit for the whole Enterprise M. Night Shyamalan style. Of all the times to declare yourself an auteur, this is not the right one. As in Puma Man, a great deal of the merciless mockery of werewolf. Is directed toward the overly synthetic Native American drum-influenced musical score from Keith Bilderbeck, a prolific sound designer and composer for Jurassic Women and Crystal Force. The don't you have a message for us? Because the film, like many later sci-fi era experiments, has a relatively lengthy credit sequence, Mike and the bots perform an amazing melody of pop hits whose melodies roughly match the beat, beginning a tradition of referencing a specific and very appropriate Fleetwood Mac song that has continued through rift tracks and was recently called out during the live simulcast of Mothra.
1: How well, the Indian boy Loved all the animals in the West We will, we will rock you well, they ran through the briars, and they ran through the brambles, and they ran through the places where a rabbit wouldn't go. Gypsies, tramps,
0: and thieves, we heard it from the people of the town. Toss! Fun facts, when Werewolf was released on video, naturally bypassing theaters, the video box boasted lentographic art of Paul's character that, depending on the angle, morphed between regular and wolf mode, which somehow makes both look even worse. In the bottom right corner... The dubious boast, Incredible Morphing Package. And, not to be outdone, here is the tagline listed, and I am not fucking joking. Rest in, dot dot dot, beast? What? What? The werewolf episode outdoes Boomer Man, even if the experiment is not as wonderful. But it's close. It hits so many bases, with musical numbers and particularly elaborate costumes, including one that I attempted to cosplay as sometime which we'll get to soon. The prologue asks the daring question, what would happen to Mike if he injured his head? The answer is, he would believe himself to be James Lipton, the recently deceased host, RIP by the way, of A&E's Inside the Actors Studio, and believes Crow to be his guest, Grand Theft Auto Vice City star Ray Liotta. That's a long answer. I apologize.
1: Unlawful entry, of course, a brilliant turn, a breakout role for you. You used to trade soup recipes with Kurt Russell on the set. Talk about that. No, Mike, you're not. Well, whoopi Goldberg told me you smell like apples. What? That does it, Mike. I'm getting the clown hammer. Are you really a good fella? Uh huh. Give us the inside story on Tom Hulse's dog. Uh huh. Joe Pesci's mother made you weep how? Your father was a computer scientist. Your mother was a musician. When the spaceship lands, how do they communicate? That's a very good question. I like that.
0: In segment one, Mike stages a dramatic escape from the S.O.L. with some of my favorite bridge banter of the entire series. Crow, have the nanites
1: constructed my modular descent unit yet?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. Why not?
1: (laughs) Then, since we are in high geosynchronous orbit, I will descend and jump off on some unknown location on present-day planet Earth. Uh, Uh Then, of course, you'll alert the authorities and rescue us, right? Uh, time permitting, uh, sure. That that sounds reasonable. Hey!
0: Mike drops a chain ladder all the way to Earth, but when he finally makes landfall, he quickly realizes that his ladder has landed right behind the breakfast table at Castle Forrester.
1: I am opening a hat of some sort and am dropping the ladder in. I will enter the actual structure now, which appears to be a barn of some sort, or a—no, it's an eatery. It is an eatery.
0: In segment two, Mike and the bots cast their dream werewolf movie with lesser brothers of famous people, Accompanied by some truly perfect artist renditions, a visual gag called back during one of the Netflix revivals invention exchanges.
1: Okay, well, uh, first off, I think I would have Burt Reynolds' brother, Tim Reynolds. Ah. You know, if that didn't work out, I would, I would go for Emilio Klugman. Sure, uh-huh. And, uh, you know, maybe as a role as a biker or something like that, I would go for Don Knotts' tougher brother, Spike Knotts. Ooh, ah, good idea. <laughs> Servo? Ah, thanks, Mike. Well, I played by a slightly more freestyle set of rules than you, Mike. To wit, my first choice in my werewolf movie would be one, Mr. Sammy Hatch, brother of Senator Oren. Yeah. Then I'd certainly go for Michael DeBakey's brother, Jake DeBakey, Mm -hmm. or Louis Pasteur's brother, Greg.
0: Alas, no longer in this mortal coil, but a great choice for my werewolf movie. Or, um, Chip Hitler. A similar gag was used two episodes later, only involving Jackie Coogan and disturbing underthings. Segment three is the aforementioned original song, a Bobby Soxer doo-wop ballad called Where a Werewolf, which is accompanied by some darling costumes, ponytails, leather jackets over sweater blouses, neck scarves, and poodle skirts.
1: Steve's a werewolf, but he's my guy. He's different from the rest, I don't know why. But my mother and pop, they disapprove. But no one can stop us, for it's true, Lou. Huh? Well, I had to ah, okay, oh, sure. Go ahead and rhyme. Okay, sure. you got so. it, you got it, go ahead. Where, oh, werewolf. I've lived everywhere, Where, oh, where,
0: where is my werewolf? Inside the theater, shortly before segment four, Mike trips and falls on the walk to the hallway.
1: Werewolf. Yeah.
0: Ow, whoa! Hey, watch it. watch it! Ow! Ow,
1: God, watch out! Man, you were right in my way. I think I cut
0: myself. Following the logic of lycanthropy in the experiment, on the bridge, Mike has grown a lacrosse net on the back of his head, his fingers now a shade of gold. This could mean only one thing. Ah, what? Ah, Mike, look at your hands! Feel your head!
1: Hmm, well. Oh, I have claws in a net. What's the b- Hey, wait a minute. Ah, when you stupidly fell on me, some of my essence must have mingled with your essence. Ugh, don't say essence. Ugh. Yeah, you know what? I am beginning to look and feel like you. And you know what? I'm perfectly, perfectly comfortable, comfortable with, with that. that. Oh, yes, yes that's, that's exactly what I think. What I think. Oh, he's a werecrow. A werecrow. <laughs> well, so okay. Uh, tell me how you feel. Well, I feel thin. Uh-huh. uh I have an intense love for bacon. Oh, yeah. And a sense of moral superiority over everyone I meet. Yes, perfect. You're me. <laughs> (laughs) Oh this is turning out
0: great Oh man, I
1: love
0: us. This is the start of a terrific performance from Mike, which fully develops in the final segment. He grows a beak and ping pong ball eyes, his hands formed into fanny pinchers, he's a full-blown werecrow through a costume that, if I were to ever attend Comic-Con, I would recreate out of household objects, much in the same way that Prop Diva Bees McKeever fashioned this gag.
1: Well, you look just like me now. I am. I'm just like you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. <laughs> well, why would you? You look <laughs> great. Here, turn around. Let me see all of you. <laughs> Heck, I'll be taking pointers from you pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Isn't it great being better than everybody else? It sure is. <laughs> oh, I Crow. Hi, Crow. Uh, oh no, I'm a Mike, I'm just a Crow. Ah. Y- you know, Crow here says pretty soon he's gonna be taking pointers from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Look, ah. I uh, found some Essence of Mike I had stored. Just inject a little and uh, you'll be
0: right back to normal.
1: Now, uh, okay, I'll uh, do it when I'm sick of being Crow. Okay. Uh, hey, uh, where'd you get it anyway?
0: I'd rather not say. This raises the question, how did Servo acquire the Essence of Mike? I have at least three guesses all of which are too disgusting to mention in Decent Company. I will just remind you that Servo has a certain collection in his room. The tragedy of Werewolf is that this is the episode Best Brains submitted for the 1999 Emmys, and it was snubbed. It's unspecified which category they were shooting for, but if we're to compare it to earlier nominations from 1994 and 1995, it would be for outstanding writing in a variety series. The shows that did make it into the final running that year include Dennis Miller Live, fair enough, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, right on, Late Show with David Letterman, fair, The Greatest Sketch Show Ever, Mr. Show, and The Justified Winner, The Chris Rock Show. I understand why MST3K may have stuck out like a sore thumb that year, but it's still dispiriting nonetheless. Oh, Susanna, oh, don't you cry for me. Cause I come from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Toss. And that is where we end this episode of the Coolness Chronicles. If you're a fan of the show, check out my journals all about the 2020 project, A Year of Cinematic Discovery, on Tumblr. The link can be found in the episode description. And did you know we have a Patreon page? At patreon.com slash coolnesschronicles, $5 gets you access to not just hours of bonus content, like all the Ghost of the Movies installments, but every month there are new exclusives for patrons that spin off from the free episodes, and you get every single episode early, because I love you. Your patronage helps keep this show, the one you're listening to right now, survive. Next week we'll continue this chapter all about MST3K's ninth season, with British rock from an era before drugs made things really interesting, a gaggle of children under the influence of a giant pulsating brain, and a lengthy visit with everyone's favorite creepy and kooky suburban family. Pugsley, sit in a chair. Why? So we can play a game. What game? It's called... Is There a God? All that and much, much more as we continue to chart the history and legacy of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Thank you to everyone involved in making MST3K for everything they've contributed to my life and to culture as a whole. Double thanks for writing the episode guide that I will quote frequently in this season of the podcast. I also want to thank Shout Factory for their excellent supplemental material that was invaluable to my research for this and every episode to follow on this subject. If you want to support this artist who made this wonderful show, many episodes are available on VOD at RiffTracks.com. And thank you for listening. If you enjoy what you hear, please rate and review the show on iTunes or your chosen source, you have no idea how much that helps, and share it with anyone you can, any way you can. Maybe send an email to PodMass. I don't know. This has been the largest and most fulfilling endeavor I've ever seen to completion, and it would be nice to keep making the show until it just isn't fun anymore. Have any questions or comments, or is there anything I missed on this particular chapter? Contact me on Twitter at CoolnessPodRyan or on our Facebook page, and keep on the lookout for updates. And now you can find almost all of our episodes of the podcast on YouTube. Special thanks to our amazing patrons, Bill M., Christopher H., Christopher J., Tracy R., Mary M., and Jenny R. Until next time, do what you love, don't be a dick, and, as always... You can't ask God to kill someone! Yeah! You do
1: your own dirty work!
0: and that's the end.